Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the start of the college football season finally came and went. We had a handful of games this past weekend. We've got plenty to talk about. That means, though, that we are now reverting to our new format of the show. What does that mean? That means we're now coming to you twice a week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. From now through the draft, we will come to you at least twice a week, and that first episode, which will drop late Monday, early Tuesday, is going to include Dane Brugler every single week, and we've got a new segment for you. So uh, we're going to kick things off with Saturday Scouting. Uh, me, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, exactly what you've seen over the last couple of months here on the show. We're going to get your, our reactions from the weekend's action, how it impacts the NFL draft, and a couple of other newsworthy items we'll hit every single week. That's going to be Saturday Scouting. Next... Dane's going to stick around, and we're going to have our on-the-clock segment where we're going to welcome in one of our co-hosts all year round on the show. Chris McPherson is going to come on, and he's going to play the role of innocent judge. And He has not studied any of these players yet, but basically how he's going to serve this role in this segment is that he's going to allow Ben, Dane, uh, and myself the ability to pound the table for a specific prospect. So we'll pick a different theme every single week, and we'll each argue for three different players. Whoever makes the best argument wins. C-Mac's going to serve as the, as the judge in that segment. So today, we are going to talk about who is the number two receiver behind Jamar Chase in this draft. A couple of different options on the table, so each of us will make a very spirited argument uh, for the player that we feel we can make the best argument for in this draft. That'll be our on-the-clock segment. After that, we'll finish this off with our draft mailbag. we got a great question from you guys at home. Before we get things started... If you're loving the new format, if you're excited for the start of college football, if you've got a mock draft that you want us to take a look at, if you've got a player you want to ask about, the best way to go on and get to us here on the show is to go on our Apple Podcast page or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment with your question. Or if you're just excited about the start of the season and you're thankful that we're going to go to twice a week here on the show, throw us some love. That's the best way to throw us your appreciation is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us that rating and leave us that comment. All right, let's get things started here. It's time now for Saturday Scouting with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, to kick things off here on Saturday Scouting, we had our first, I want to say, full weekend uh, of college football action. We've got another game. Monday. We're recording this Monday morning. We've got uh, a game on Monday night, which will be fun. But, guys, we had uh, six games on Saturday. A lot that we can talk about here. But before we get into the weekend's action, we got some opt-outs to kind of talk about that we haven't necessarily covered here on the show. And I want to start with one that happened late last week. It was a little bit of a surprise, guys. Georgia quarterback. Jamie Newman, the transfer from Wake Forest, we talked about him in our uh, SEC preview. Jamie Newman opting out of the season late in training camp. Uh, I'm going to go to you first, Ben. Uh, you saw Jamie Newman live last year uh, down at Wake Forest. We've t- you, you talked about him during the SEC preview. Uh, what was your initial takeaway when you saw that he was opting out of the season and declaring for the draft? You know, a little disappointed that I wasn't going to see him, uh, you know, against SEC defenses on a weekend, week-out basis. And that really pro-style attack – from the Georgia Bulldogs, the good offensive line. And, uh, you know, just a little disappointed. We're going to have to go off his wake tape, which is yeah. a little unique. A lot of that interesting quarterback zone read stuff, especially the way they carry that mesh point almost through the line of scrimmage. But he's a big kid. He's got a lot of tools. 
I think Greg McElroy at some point during the season uh, compared him to a Cam Newton style of player, style of athlete. That's really what he looks like. He's a good-looking kid with a rocket arm and can deliver the ball all over the place with some athleticism. You know, I don't know if that's a Dante Culpepper style of player or a Cam Newton style of athlete, but it's that mold of player that can make some things happen with, you know, his legs and has that big frame and a big arm. Uh, just a little disappointed you're not going to see him in the SEC. Dane, what was your first reaction? Yeah, just disappointment because uh, I thought there, this was a player who is not in the top 100 conversation yet, but he could get in there with a solid season against better competition, uh, better talent around him. And you saw the flashes last year awake that, you know, got you interested. Uh, you know, it made you want to learn more about him. But there's so many things that I still want to see more from him. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see that. So I, I still think it's possible he can get to the top 100. Maybe, uh, you know, the senior bowl is going to be huge for him. Uh, as long as he gets an invite, you know, that, that's going to be the type of setting that is going to, you know, a lot of evaluation is going to be put on that game in that week. But I think it's a missed opportunity for him. There's obviously more on the line than just football with some of these decisions. And so yep. I'm not going to kill a guy, but it's just, it's disappointing because of missed opportunity right now. I saw some people tweeting how, you know, he's chance to be a first rounder or this and that. Talking to scouts this summer, he's anywhere between the fourth and sixth rounds by the scouts that I talked to. He's not even in the first three-round discussion yet. I mean, we're talking about a one-year starter, right? He he went seven and five last year at Wake. He only started a couple of games the year before. So a small sample size. Ben, you talk about the uniqueness of that offense. I was very excited to be able to see him in a little bit of a new environment and that kind of style offense. We'll see. I mean, JT Daniels, another transfer uh, from USC, seems like he's going to be the front runner for that job. I would have been really excited to see Jamie Newman. And now, who knows? Maybe Newman saw the the writing on the wall that JT Daniels was going to win the job. We haven't seen any reports of that. To me, and uh, Dane, to what you said, I'll never, you can't knock a kid for opting out of the season, but we've talked about that free year of eligibility. He could have gone back or he could have gone, you know, even somewhere else to go into the draft now. I think there's a lot of unknown with Jamie Newman. So it's going to be very interesting. The pre draft process is going to be very, very important for him, as it is for a lot of these guys. Let's go to the the next position here. Memphis running back Kenny Gainwell, a guy that I've mentioned back in our non-Power 5 preview, which was, what, back mid-July at this point. Well, I'll tell you what. I went and studied some more Gainwell uh, over the last week. Guys, I'm really impressed with this kid, and he's he's one of my favorite running backs that I've studied so far in this draft. I think there's a little bit of the one name that I wrote down. I actually wrote down two names. I wrote down Kareem Hunt and Aaron Jones in terms of the way that he plays. Now, he's listed 5'11", 195. He looks a little bit bigger to me on film watching this kid. He's got some ability to make that first man miss. He consistently runs behind his pads. I like his balance. He's got some shake to him. He's got the ability to win with a, a stiff arm or some spin moves. A lot of different ways to make that first man miss. Just a great receiver out of the backfield as well, which is why I think of like an Aaron Jones, a Kareem Hunt, like just that profile of player, that ability to make that first man miss, and then uh, that ability to impact the passing game. He's not a 4-3 athlete, but just a guy that I think is going to have a really easy transition to the NFL. I liked his vision downhill. He's not a power back, you know, in terms of moving piles. But, again, the contact balance was there. I liked a lot of what we saw from Kenny Gainwell. It's a shame we won't get, be able to see him with another year, but saw plenty of, uh, of action last season, you know, with one year as a starter at the running back spot you're able to make that projection a little bit easier. Ben, uh, I know you've seen Gainwell. You've studied Gainwell as well. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw him declare? Yeah, he's a fun player, a former high school quarterback, that dual threat kind of wildcat yeah, quarterback. that's right. Fit right into that Tony Pollard role. 
where you're really a dual threat, half running back, half perimeter back, half, you know, a slot receiver. Made a lot of plays, whether they're back shoulders or seven routes down the field where he looks like a full-time slot receiver. And, you know, I think Kareem Hunt, Aaron Jones, just a little squattier, a little thicker in the core. I see more of the, you know, Deion Lewis or maybe the Miles Sanders style of player uh, that can excel in both phases of the offense. But really fun player, not to mention the the off-the-field stuff, takes care of his special needs brother. Uh, ESPN Mm -hmm. did a really nice segment on that last year with him and was one of two players in the country with 400 receiving, 400 rushing yards last year. So he's in pretty elite company with being a dual-threat player. The thing I love, Fran, is the pacing of his strides, and then when he sees it, that instant acceleration past defenders. Not only in the open field, but in tight spaces between the tackles, making linebackers miss, knowing when to set up that blocker and darting out the back door. Really creative runner. It looks like he has a good feel already. When I watch him play, Fran, it looks like the the game – is just slow to him and it's almost kind of in a warp speed and he's seeing things just a step ahead a really fun player to watch for a guy who's only been playing running back for a couple of years too right, right? I mean, that's, exactly. that's the impressive part exactly and as ben said a former quarterback and you know i it's hard to blame his decision he's, he's lost three family members to covid i mean just you understand where he's coming from and when i watched him i got devin singletary vibes mm. because this is a guy who's not the biggest you know he's not going like you said Fran. he's not going to run a four three uh, you know the 40 yard dash might not blow you away but he just he understands what to do uh when he has a football he has those instincts um and his ability as a pass catcher that that's what really stu- stood out uh just kind of like we've seen some other running backs being more than just screen players more than just a dump off op- option Gainwell will flex out. He will run routes down the field, and he he looks like he's been doing it his entire life. Uh, it just it creates issues for the defense when you don't know what he's going to do. So not only does he have that slippery athleticism, the natural instincts with the ball in his hands, but he's so versatile because of what he can do in the backfield or out of the backfield. Uh, just a really impressive player who, uh, when I did my running back preview, he was my number four running back, so someone that I think very highly of. I really like this kid's transition to the NFL. You mentioned you guys both mentioned the pass game upside, certainly there with Kenneth Gainwell. Let's go to another one, and we we alluded to it last week. I don't think it was much of a surprise to see Jamar Chase, uh, the star receiver from LSU, declare for this draft. I guess the the timing of it was maybe the biggest surprise, right? Just opting out, you know, at this point in the in the summer, but. I mean, guys, we've seen enough, I think, from Jamar Chase, right? We, we know the skill set. I don't think that this is going to impact his overall draft slot. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I mean, the only place to go is down, right? right. I mean, yep. you know, and I hate to say that because selfishly, I want to see him back on the field at LSU to see him uh, play some more. But, you know, and it's, it's funny because he's the consensus wide receiver one, even though he doesn't have – necessarily a Julio Jones type of body or, you know, just the, what we think of, you know, Calvin Johnson, you know, past clear cut wide receiver ones and draft classes. Like he's six foot two ten, and, you know, a, a good speed player, but what really makes him just a special, special receiver is the body control, uh, his tracking skills, his ability to manipulate defensive backs down the field. Uh, he just has some acrobatics about him in terms of body positioning and going up and getting the football just very graceful uh, in that respect. And, you know, that's, I think, you know, he could have gone back and fine tuned some of the details, but he wasn't going to reach the production that he did last year. Some of these, these splash plays, he's just a very gifted receiver who might not have the elite size speed profile that we normally think of with the, the clear cut wide receiver ones, 
but he's just he's so electric down the field with his his ability to go up and get the football that he's going to be a player teams consider in the top five. You know, mid-February, two weeks before the combine, I said on Twitter, I really think he should consider sitting out 2020. And this was mm. pre-COVID, pre-canceling seasons and opt-outs and Hey, can I kind of say for you to say that, Ben, like I just knowing you like that means a lot. Like because I know how you feel about guys like sitting out and not like for you to say that in February, the year before, like that to me. If, if players are stocks, I didn't feel like he had any room to really grow his stock. And I felt like, you know what? Be part of the team. Take care of your body. Be a leader. Be a locker room guy. Be a good teammate. Role model. Hustle. Finish your degree in three years maybe do an internship, externship, like a lot of players are doing with their free time and really kind of tie together all those loose ends outside the field. I didn't know what else he could do in 2020 to improve his stock as a, you know, a potential professional for the NFL. So let's talk about his teammate, Tyler Shelvin. The, uh, I, the way I describe a mountainous defensive tackle, a nose tackle on the inside, was a redshirt sophomore last year. He has opted out and declared for the 2021 NFL draft. So uh, right around the same time that Jamar Chase declared, Tyler Shelvin uh, entered his name into the draft. I studied him this morning. I've got some thoughts. I'm interested to get your guys' feeling on Tyler Shelvin. Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw Tyler Shelvin uh, declare for the draft? But yeah, he's 6'3", 345. I mean, that, well, 345 is kind of what he's listed wants, at. Yeah, it's, well, and that's what he wants his weight to be at. But, you know, he got close to 400 pounds at one point, and conditioning's the biggest issue with him. When he's been at LSU, he's been anywhere between 340 and 390. So that's a fluctuation of 50 pounds where you just don't know. He's an immovable object in the run game. Uh, yep. that, that's his strength. He, he's a boulder. Uh, he's got the broad shoulders. He's, you know, obviously a filled out player. And he has some knockback strength. He can control blockers at the point of attack, reestablish the line of scrimmage. I'm not going to give you anything as a pass rusher. That's not his game. But I was surprised. He has some vision where he can track the backfield yep. and make plays in the middle of the field. But again, it comes back to our team's going to be convinced that he has the conditioning, the professional mindset that's required of a player that size. Uh, and, and if they are, then I think he's going to be a player that can go in the first two rounds. But that, that's a big if because he's blessed with size, with ability, but just continued maturation with taking care of his body, having that professional mindset. It's, it's going to be imperative for him to be drafted in the top 60 to 75 picks and for him to last in the NFL. Well, just to put you guys on the spot for a little bit, where do you put him in the pecking order with maybe a Lecky Fotu that was a fourth-round pick last year or a Vita Vea who was a top-ten pick, you know, the year before? I think he's similar to those prospects. I just get really worried, essentially a one-year player, no sacks to his credit, three TFLs, you know, only 500-whatever snaps this past year and an impressive year for LSU but just really concerned that lacking experience, lacking the pass rush upside. I know, Dane, you had him actually mocked ninth overall uh, yeah. back in April. So that's, you know, big time love. Just get a little bit worried about, you know, what he's going to do <laughs> in, the, in the pass game there. Where do you guys think he stacks up with those other guys? Well, and that's the thing, right, is that, you know, he played – he was a 13-game starter last year for LSU, national champions. They constantly were playing from ahead – no sacks, right? I mean, you're talking about not just a guy like – I think when you look at who are the top nose tackles in the NFL, right? Who are the guys that you would say like, okay, like these guys are three down playmakers in the league playing inside on the nose. You start looking around. You're like, all right, well, you know, Kenny Clark. And these are different kind of players. These are guys who are more nose shades and everything. But hey, you're talking about 
Kenny Clark, you know, De'Ron Payne, you know, Ashawn Robinson, right? You start talking about some of these guys, and then you get to the next level of like, all right, well, DJ Reader, Eddie Goldman, Jaron Reed, you know, Devon Godshaw, Vernon Butler, Dalvin Tomlinson. Those guys had some sack production to their credit. Those guys had some of those athletic. I just don't know if we've got that with Tyler Shelvin. He's one of my favorite facts about him was the fact that he was like the high school kicker and punter. Like he's got light, he's got light feet. He's got the ability uh, to move. It's not that he's like a slug. I just need I just need that proven ability to get after the quarterback. They took him. I mean, Dave Aranda last year. They took him off the field on most third downs. You know, and every once in a while he would slide out to like to a one technique or a three technique and some of their early down nickel packages. But you know, more often than not, it was like a slow burn kind of mush rush. Uh, you know, we haven't seen him kind of cut it loose and get upfield. But that, I mean, that's the question, and that's where you say like, all right, well, uh, in terms of what he can be, what kind of player, what kind of impact is he going to have? I think I think you have to question. He he has the ability to be a dominant run defender but Fran like he started all those games yep but you know just at that size hard for him to play over 30 snaps a game yeah and then just collectively even into the fourth quarter of these games right just way too big his weight his conditioning is going to be you know kind of uh you know example number one once he gets into NFL circles and being a professional and what can you do for this team I kind of like the uh Jordan Davis kid down in Georgia a little bit Mm. better Similar type of player, a little bit taller, but in that 330, 340 range, being that kind of no-shade style of player. I think Davis just had a little bit more juice and upside, in my opinion. No, no question. I agree. And, you know, when I was doing my way-too-early mock draft, I – you know, I was talking to a scout who was helping me kind of fill in some gaps, and he's like, you know what? That Tyler Sheldon kid, he's he's got a chance to be maybe the next uh, Vince Wolfolk, uh, you know, with his ability. And that's to, fair. He looks like the most pound-for-pound pound strongest player in college football. Right. And so, you know, that's why I put him high. And then the more I dove into him this summer, I just, you know, I don't know. I lost some of the love that I was hoping I would have for him because it, of, of what we've been saying. He inability to stay on the field in key situations, lack of a pass rush. I lost some of the optimism and I still think he could be a top 50, top 60 pick because of what he can do in the run game. And yep. there's still some untapped uh, potential there, but you know, unfortunately we're not gonna be able to see it this year. So I think another one of those questionable decisions. One of the guys that I didn't mention, I probably should have was like Brandon Williams in Baltimore, right? Like, can he be Brandon Williams? Can he be like Linval Joseph? That's like the best, that's what you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of like, how do you value uh, that kind of impact. I think it's going to be fascinating to just be able to watch. Seems like I, like all the research I did on him, like seems like a kid that you really, really root for. Seems like a gentle giant off the field. He's had the weight issues, but you know, a guy that is going to be really fascinating to be able to study uh, over the course of the next. Like Steve McClendon, who, you know, that nose sure. tackle for the Steelers. Yep. I think, I think I see Jordan Davis a little bit more like Jordan Phillips. Okay. Yeah, sure. Oklahoma, exactly. Yep. Who's more of a juicier type of nose tackle that can really fly up the field on you when he wants to. Yep, I, I like that. That's a guy. I, I actually like really like the comparison. Um, so, guys, we're recording this early Monday morning, late Sunday night. We got news that Cal Corner Cameron Bynum declaring for the draft. I have not done Bynum yet. I've got some quotes from some of his teammates, but uh, Dane, I'll come to you first on Cam Bynum. What were your thoughts on him declaring for the draft? Uh, you know, well, with the Pac-12 not playing, who knows what it's going to look like? You know, I I don't blame him for. You know, he's a senior. Um, he's played a lot of football. And there's a lot of background stuff that his coaches love him. Uh, he's a football junkie. He eats, drinks, breathes this stuff. Team captain uh, as a junior. He's you know the leader of the secondary. There's a lot of things, the, the intangibles 
that you just really going to help him uh, with his resume for the next level on the field, like his ball skills. Uh, he's really physical. I think he can leverage routes and, you know, does a nice job and, and from press play recognition is there. Now the, butt and the butt is he's just not a top tier athlete. He's not quick twitch. Uh, his he's average at best for the cornerback position and maybe he can get away with it uh, in certain schemes but this is a guy, once he's beat, uh, he's done. He's no recovery speed. He's the type of guy that uh, if he loses contain, if he is just out leveraged at all, he's just he doesn't have the, the twitch in his body or the speed to make up that and recover. So for me personally, I, I stay away from those guys, those corners. I don't think he's a necessarily a top 100 pick right now, but because coaches are going to love him, the intangibles and what he brings – from a mental standpoint, I, I think that'll help him possibly stick on a roster once he get into camp. And those guys just worry me because if you're not a plus athlete and clawing on the back of the roster, you got to make your way in special teams. And typically those non-athletes, you know, don't run down on kickoff and aren't punt gunners because they're not running four threes and four fours. But Dane hit it. Experienced player, over 2,400 snaps played, 38 games started. Actually considered the draft in 2019 and 2020 could have come out both years a guy that's been on the field a whole lot for cal all that iq stuff you know finds the ball he's veteran corner you know he's smart good force player knows you know when to be in contain on the back side seems to understand route combinations and when to pass off receivers to his slot defenders as well just lacks the long speed like dane had mentioned but you can watch him battle brandon Ayuk. you know he got his hands on him pretty good on the line of scrimmage uh, it was a pretty good battle for a first round pick receiver but a uh, pretty deep uh, Pac-12 secondary, and Cam Bynum was kind of in that group. A couple of his former teammates really raved to me about him this offseason. Evan Weaver down at the Senior Bowl told me, you know, just uh, how hard of a worker he is, gave me a couple of good examples. Uh, Ashton Davis, I talked to him at the Combine, and, you know, Ashton told me, like, he was the guy that got all of us together as, as DBs and set up film study sessions at his house. We'd all go over his house. We'd order food and just watch film all day, all night. So he just seems like that kind of a guy. I, like I said, I have not studied, uh, studied him yet, so I can't speak to the on-field, but uh, the off-field certainly seems to be the, one of his attractive traits, one of his attractive qualities entering the NFL. All right, guys, we had a bunch of opt-outs we just got through. Let's get to some of the action we saw this weekend. We'll kind of buzz through some things. Every week we're going to give a game ball. And just a guy that stood out to us, you know, they were really, you know, the standout player from the weekend. Dane, I'll let you uh, start this one off. Who, who was your game ball player for this weekend? Yeah, and obviously we didn't have a huge schedule to pick from here. Uh, personally, I went with Spencer Brown, the running back at UAB. UAB put up 45 points against Central Arkansas. And Brown, I think, was the tone setter of that offense. And they've got other, other guys with Tyler Johnston, Austin Watkins. But Brown, and he looked a little quicker. Uh, you know, he's reportedly down from 230, uh, under 220 now. He lost weight. His conditioning improved. But he still ran physical, dropped his pads in the contact, keep his legs pumping. But he showed a little bit, just a little bit more juice. He's not going to be, not going to have a great 40-yard dash. He's not a sudden athlete, but strong out of his cuts and did a nice job with his patience and his vision. So I know it was against an FCS opponent, so that's the, the caveat there. But Spencer Brown, uh, he looked like a draftable running back uh, with what we saw. So I, I'm eager to track him the rest of the season. Why does he not get more love? I mean, he's a guy that ran for 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns as a true freshman, caps it off with another 1,216 touchdowns as a true sophomore, 
and was a little dinged up last year with an ankle injury. So his stats kind of, uh, you know, suffered because of that. But this kid's a really intriguing player. Good size, good speed, you know, can uh, win in the open field and with the long speed down the field. You know, just uh, kind of thought he'd get a little more national attention ahead into the season. Two times on the freak list as well, uh, both 2018 and 2019. Uh, you know, Bruce Feldman had highlighted him uh, as one of the best athletes in all of college football. So interesting that you brought up uh, Spencer Brown. I have not studied him yet. Ben, let's go to you. Who's your game ball? I'm going to go over to uh, Memphis tight end Sean Dykes. Really interesting redshirt senior at 6'2", 225. Really more of a move tight end, slot receiver type of presence. Reminded me a lot of Gerald Everett, you know, who carved out a nice role with the Los Angeles Rams coming out of South Alabama, I believe, a few years ago. But Sean Dykes put up 10 catches for 137 and two touchdowns in their win against Arkansas State, the new uh, era down there at Memphis, taking over for Norvell. This guy lines up everywhere. He'll split out wide, slot, inline, backfield, those H-back type of rolls, being 6'2", 225, caught a touchdown, split out on a little double inbreaker type of concept. But had to take a red shirt last year for an injury. He was also behind senior Joey Magnifico. So he was a little bit behind the scenes. It seems like he's going to be kind of one of the weapons in the offense, especially without Gainwell. We all know about DeMonte Coxie. And he actually led the team in targets, receptions, yards, everything. So could uh, really build off this. Also remind me a little bit of Keenan Brown at a Texas State a couple years ago, Oklahoma State transfer. Mm. Yeah, and sure. Just that squatty body, Charles Clay type of move weapon. Not a true like receiver, that. not a true slot, not a true fullback, not a true tight end. Really just an athlete out there. And if you can uh, have some creativity, you could see uh, what he can do for you. So my game ball went to the guy that was throwing passes to Sean Dykes, and that's Brady White. And really, the only reason I'm giving it to Brady White is this. Uh, he throws four touchdowns. The, the red zone offense was outstanding. They schemed up things really, really well, as they have over the last few years down there uh, in Memphis. You talked about the change in coaching staff. And to me, that's the big thing for me with Brady White. You know, Mike, Mike Norvell leaves. You know, all right, how is he going to look outside of Mike Norvell's scheme? Uh, what's he going to look like? No Kenny Gainwell, as you mentioned. We talked about Gainwell earlier. What is Brady White going to look like in this offense? He comes through. Four touchdowns, 275 yards. They get the win over Arkansas State, who uh, they've got high hopes for this year as well. To me, it was the the overall kind of the visual for Brady White. The interception he threw early in the second half was terrible, to be honest. He was rolling to his left, and you know I don't know what he was kind of thinking on that interception. But you know you see the quick release. I haven't done Brady White yet, but to me, uh, in terms of the games that I watch, just you know kind of sitting sitting on the couch, I love Brady White. You know, kind of deserve my game ball here going out. And not to forget, Fran, he's an Arizona State transfer, the former number four quarterback in the class behind guys like Josh Rosen, DeAndre Francois, Blake Barnett. If you know anything about those three, I think Brady White's the one sitting here laughing, still playing football. I'm kind of hoping he uh, goes back because he he has an extra year of eligibility. He could be a seventh-year senior next year, which would be kind of fun. (laughs) There could be a lot of guys, those those guys next year, which would be interesting. All right, guys, let's go to our one-play takeaway. So for those who remember last year uh, and over the last couple of years here on the podcast, one play that we're going to kind of take away from this weekend that stood out most. Ben, I'm going to go to you first for this one. So I was excited to see uh, Kylan Granson, the tight end uh, in SMU's offense, put up big numbers last year, nine touchdowns, was one of the vertical threats in the offense, really athletic. Offensive coordinator went over to Miami. So now looking for Brevin Jordan to put up similar production, especially down the field. Didn't do a whole lot in the game. However, he did take a little stick route, 56 yards for a touchdown. That got called back because of a nasty block from receiver yep. Reggie Roberson. Yep. Bit of a crack back, blind side. I'm not sure what the de- designation was. But you can really see the open field speed, 
the kind of deceptive speed because he had a bit of a lumbering runner, but he took it right up the sideline, almost 60 yards. And if a guy like Josiah DeGuara is going in the third round, mm. if the NFL likes that style of body, that H-back that has some athleticism, that's, good point. that's really what Granson kind of is. And yeah. expect him to uh, kind of build off that big season last Last year in the receiving category and maybe do some more blocking in 2020. That's what, I think that'll be the key. What was he going to give you as a blocker? I, I'm really intrigued by him as a pass catcher. And they um, gave him a fourth down rushing attempt, which he didn't get. I'm not sure I really like that style, but that's what <laughs> Right. I, I, I mean, I think he's – right now I graded him as a late round uh, possible H-back option, but, I mean, I'm, I'm eager to see him this year and see if he's – able to you know show a little bit more uh add a little more to his toolbox because he's he's got talent no question so i'm glad you mentioned him because I'm, I'm a fan as well that's what i thought deguara was and he goes in the third round day two to the packers and all of a sudden he's you know starting fullback each back for him heading into 2020 so if certain teams covet that position and that role he could slide into being a similar type of day two player I think with the, the you know the twenty one personnel, the twelve personnel that I think coming starting to come a little bit back into into vogue in the NFL, I think players like that. I just think that old school fullback role is kind of fading away. You want more of the freakish Kyle Juszczyk's, which only so many grow on trees, you know, that are like a Kyle Juszczyk. You want more athleticism at that position. Well, it's like the, you know, what used to be the tight end was the the classic, like, oh, you know, 275 pound uh, extra offensive lineman. No, we want the, we want the former receivers. Now it's like, all right, give us, give me all your undersized tight ends. We're going to make them all fullbacks. Keep evolving. That's right. So I'm going to go real quick, the same game. I watched two games on Saturday. I watched uh, Texas State SMU, and I watched Memphis Arkansas State. And that catch late in the first half from Texas State wide receiver Jeremiah Hadel might be a catch of the year already in that this one will be one of the best plays, individual plays of the season. He goes up, and it was a red zone fade down inside the five-yard line, right side of the field. He goes up, defender right in, the, in his breastplate, and he's got the ability to go up with his right hand only, pulls it in while falling into the back of the end zone, keeps both feet in. He lands uh, with his butt first inside the pylon for the touchdown. Outstanding catch. I know nothing about Jeremiah Hadel. This is my first, uh, my first impression of that kid. Hell of a grab to kind of catch my attention. Dane, what was and your one play? he kept uh, that player? cradled with the one hand. Yes. I don't yeah. give credit to Silly. the one-hand tap-ins to your chest, and then you, you catch it with two. A one-handed catch, you stab it with one or cradle it with one and finish it with one. These little tap-ins to yourself that get love, I'm not too impressed with. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a good catch, but it's not the one-handed catch. Yeah, I went with Jalen Tolbert, uh, South Alabama, who uh, put together a pretty, pretty nice game, and he – from the outset was uh, kind of introduced himself as a guy that, Hey, we need to know about like three or four plays into the game. Third down, he takes a simple hitch and then breaks three tackles, takes it 73 yards for the touchdown. Uh, this guy's really interesting. Six, three, one ninety five, and watching his acceleration to just motor away from guys. Um, he had a couple nice catches later in the game where he would, you know, track the ball, extend, uh, and, you know, just work against coverage. So Jalen Tolbert, redshirt junior, really wasn't a guy high on my radar before, but now he is based off of what he did helping South Alabama get by Southern Miss. So uh, Jalen Tolbert, really, really intriguing. And, and there's there's talent there. He's reminds me maybe of the the group of five version of like Chris Olave, uh, you know, mm. that lean build, but just he, he's got acceleration. He, you know, tracks the ball well, good hands. Uh, there's something to this kid. 
Interesting. I, I like that. I have, I have not done I like the, uh, the Olave comparison. Ben, uh, let's come to you first for our next category. Down the road freak show. So uh, this is a guy that's a, a not eligible for the 2021 NFL draft, but just someone to file away for the future. Yeah, I'm going to go over to Army. That's right. Army football coming off a big 42 to nothing win against Middle Tennessee State. And this young running back for them, Tyrell Robinson, freshman, about 5'9", 180 pounds soaking wet. But oof, did he have some electric, wicked cuts in the open field. Had nine carries for 94 yards, you know, nearly 10 a carry there. But some nasty cuts and some end arounds and some gadgety type runs getting him to the perimeter. Really see a Tariq Cohen style of a uh, human joystick player in the open field. Fun player. Dane, who was, uh, who was your pick here? I went with Grant Wells, quarterback at Marshall. And honestly, I considered saying him for the, 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 the game ball or the one play takeaway. Because this guy was really, really impressive. Only a redshirt freshman, you know, West Virginia native. For a redshirt freshman, his timing, his placement down the field was just so, so impressive. And the asterisk here is they played an FCS team in Eastern right. Kentucky. But still, uh, I mean, his uh, his mobility, so he was extending plays, uh, which helped got his uh, routes develop and his guys get open. He was on time. It, the chemistry he had with his, his receivers, really impressive. You saw a, you know, a bang eight touchdown. I mean, yep. just from a redshirt freshman, really, really impressed. So Grant Wells, not the biggest guy, probably six one and a half, two hundred ten pounds around there, but he's got some talent. So Grant Wells is uh, he really impressed me on Saturday. I'm going to go with another redshirt freshman uh, from the SMU game, and that's the running back Ulysses Bentley. Uh, he only went for 49 yards, had a couple touchdowns, the first two touchdowns of the game for the Mustangs. And he, they, you know, they had another rusher there, and TJ McDaniel, who's a redshirt sophomore, I believe. Uh, Bentley was the number two guy, but to me, he's got he's got more NFL ability. When you look at his lateral mobility, his second touchdown run, awesome jump cut in the hole to make the second man miss. He's got a little bit of juice. He showed the ability to get uh, to the sideline and you know be able to uh, make some big plays in the run game. Of the two backs, I thought Bentley was the guy who kind of caught my eye more. Uh, the touchdowns in particular, I thought were very impressive. That second one uh, of note. I only a redshirt freshman, so excited about his future moving forward. Guys, last category here before we move to the next segment. Film room recap. This will be one guy that we've studied over the last week or so that we just feel like, all right, let's, uh, let's bring this guy into the discussion. Uh, I'll start things off. And I kind of focused – I wanted to focus on a guy that was going to play this weekend because I knew, like, all right, you know, as you mentioned, Dane, not a, a full slate, but I wanted to get eyes on Middle Tennessee State safety, Reed Blankenship. And this guy, he's a fun player, really instinctive. He's got the ability to trigger downhill and make plays in the run game. He is not a high-level athlete. You know, I, he, he ended up making the freak list. I wasn't, like, ex- really impressed with, like, his explosiveness or his twitch. I thought that he had enough speed to carry tight ends down the seam. He's not a guy I would want matched up against receivers, but quick, keen diagnose. He's a, a really feisty tackler. He can run the alley very well. Um, you know, he's able to turn and find the ball downfield. I was impressed with his ball skills. I just worry, like, is he a good enough athlete that I want him playing all the time in the post? Like, is he going to be a playmaker at free safety? Or does he have the size and the strength? I was worried about his play strength a little bit, playing through contact, playing in the box. So I, I kind of de- – I'm not sure exactly what to do with him as a starter. But I'll tell you what, if you put him in a quarter scheme, uh, you know, what you, you see up like in Buffalo or even in Washington now with Ron Rivera, I feel like he could fit as a starter there. Outside of that, it might be more of like a third or fourth safety role for Blankenship. But I, I thought he had a high floor. I, I did like him on film. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I wrote up before the weekend the twelve players that were playing that I, you know, people really needed to pay attention to, and Blankenship was one of them. And the last line I think really kind of sums up what what you were saying. If if he hits certain numbers in the athletic testing during the draft process, he's got the ball skills and diagnose skills where he could warrant a draft pick. But hitting those numbers in the athletic testing is going to be important because I guess the question is just what type of athlete is he? Can he hold up on an island uh, deep? Can he run the alley? Uh, these different questions about him. So uh, a good player, smart player, versatile player who uh, just, you know, there's some questions that, you know, makes him a borderline draft pick right now. Ben, we'll go to you next. Who was, uh, who was the, uh, the guy that you studied uh, over the last week? I'm going to continue this uh, interesting little pool of receivers coming out of SMU over the past few years. James Proche, Cortland Sutton was a second-round pick, even going back to Manuel Sanders and Aldrich Robinson. But we're going to focus on Reggie Robinson Jr., really interesting senior receiver, West Virginia transfer. He's six foot, 200 pounds, so he's a little short, but with pretty good size and weight. He doesn't have that angular frame. He's got pretty good butt to him, pretty good size core. Reminds me of a... You know, almost like Torrey Smith or Carlos Henderson at a La Tech a couple years ago where they almost have that squadier running back looking body, but they have the vertical speed and you see that explosive gear. Boy, can he accelerate past defensive backs off coverage, one little twitch and he could straight run past corners and off coverage really good against press as well. Average 18-7 on a catch last year on 43 catches, 13 catches of 30 plus yards. And that's the third most among returning receivers in 2020. So he's a guy that can win down the field. But you put on the Temple game, had a huge game, bunch of plays down the field. I was most impressed with his third down slants. Made a couple really nice junk catches to move the chains, getting six, seven yards on third and four. Really good hands, plucks the ball away from the body, can win in traffic. Some of the issues, limited route tree down there at SMU. Had a foot injury last year almost primarily left receiver in the offense in his career, which there's some pros and cons with that. And then in 2020, just want to see how he responds to not having James Prochet in the offense, who was one of Shane Bouchelle's one of go-to targets in 2019. So uh, didn't have a huge game the other day and, you know, a nasty block in the open field called back the uh, touchdown from Granson we had just mentioned, but I love the willingness and he's a physical feisty little player. He had the touchdown on the post where you saw him kind of uh, adjust to the ball. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Uh, to, to me, like, it's the ball skills in the hands with Robertson that, that like, yeah. really, really stand out. Um, it, to me, like, one of the best proven deep threats. Like, we've seen that we talked a lot about uh, some of these speed guys like, you know, Amir Smith-Barset and, uh, you know, even like a Coxy. And, you know, there, there are a few guys in this draft that I feel have that. To me, like, he's the best proven deep threat in terms of being able to, to, to track the football over the shoulder, get to the catch point, and, and finish. Uh, to me, he's – I like Reggie Robertson. I, I'm excited to watch uh, more of him moving forward. And Bouchelle's got a good arm. He could throw it down the field. Yep, yeah, no question. No, I mentioned that article. Reggie Robertson, he was number one on that, uh, that list. Yeah. I think he was the best player – on the field this past weekend, you know, even though he didn't have a, a huge game, but last year, only one player in college football averaged at least a hundred yards per game, averaged at least 17 yards per catch and had three or fewer drops on the season. And it was wow. Roberson. So that speaks to what you're saying, Fran, with the, the downfield ability, the hands. And so if you have two things, two traits like that, that you could really hang your hat on your speed, which I expect him to run somewhere between, Four four zero and four 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 probably in the forty yard dash. I mean, sure, that yep. that type of speed. So you have that speed and you have the hands where you're not going to put the football on the ground. 
that those type of traits get you drafted high. I, I think he has a chance to be a day two pick. And I think he has tape against TCU's Jeff Gladney last season yes. as well, if you want to see him against a first-round caliber corner or a power five player. And I thought he competed well, you know, because we, we all love Jeff Gladney's competitiveness. I thought Robertson competed well uh, in that game. He's got to get better as a route runner for sure. Like, there are times where he's kind of, like, falling down out of breaks. You mentioned the limited route tree from only one side of the field as well. Um, so the route running, that's going to be a little bit of an issue for him. But, Dan, you mentioned uh, he's got a couple traits there that you can really hang your hat on moving to the NFL. Last guy we're going to cover here today uh, in this segment. Dane, uh, who was who the guy that you studied over the last week? Yeah, I went with Josh Ball, offensive tackle at Marshall, who is a draftable talent, but he's a very complicated prospect. I mean, the good is I think he's surprisingly nimble uh, for his size. I think he's efficient in his pass set movements. Uh, he can shut down the corner. He can protect for his inside moves. Uh, gets a little upright at times, and that'll cause him to struggle uh, in terms of his sustained skills in the run game. But, you know, I think he's a guy that has uh, the NFL ability. The complicated part, uh, aside from just not having a ton of experience and needing to get better technically, is the off-field. He is a former four-star recruit, goes to Florida State, and he actually started as a redshirt freshman at left tackle for the Seminoles. Uh, I mean, nine games that year, Dan. Yeah, exactly. But then he was suspended. They found him guilty of dating violence uh, against a female student. There were uh, accusations of physical violence uh, by the victim and no formal charges were ever filed. It's hard to know what to take away from that, but he spent the 2018 season at the Juco level. Then he transferred to Marshall uh, last year where he was kind of a, uh, a spot tackle, swing tackle, saw most of his snaps at left tackle. He played Saturday at right tackle. So uh, this is a guy, again, he has draftable talent. It's just, you know, what's going on with the character the background stuff uh, teams have to be comfortable with that, but he's definitely a player to watch uh, moving forward. You know, the interesting thing real quick, guys, is he has two profile pictures at Marshall, one being listed at 350, the next at 309. So a bit of an issue with how big is he right now? I know he knows he had to lose some weight. I don't know if he's all the way down to 309, but if he is, good for him. Dude, he, he is really athletic. Like, if yeah. you see him out in the move, he is he is an impressive athlete. You know, and he's a little bit unrefined in certain areas, but the off-field has got to clear. But as a physical specimen, I think he's a very intriguing player. Guys, don't go anywhere. We, we're going to come up right now for our next segment. I talked about it earlier. Uh, our On the Clock. We're going to start that right now. On the Clock. All right, guys, let's get into this new segment that we're going to bring back. C-Mac, uh, we're going to welcome in Chris McPherson. C-Mac, we had a segment previously on the show, On the Clock. It was a little bit of a game. You know, you, myself, Bo Wolf, Alex Smith, we always went back and forth with different games every week. Well, we're bringing this segment back, and basically the goal, like I told you guys earlier, we're going to pound the table for different players every single week. Dane, you are going to get first dibs this week, and the topic is who is the number two receiver in this class behind Jamar Chase, who did opt out of the 2020 season and declared for the 2021 draft. C-Mac is going to serve as our judge. Dane, you are on the clock right now. Uh, pound the table for who you believe is the number two receiver in this class. Well, for me, it's, it's Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Yeah, the NFL is looking for playmakers. Waddle, he might be the best playmaker in the entire draft because of his catch-and-go creativity, quick twitch athlete, explosive burst. He can destroy pursuit angles eat up a defensive back's leverage, you throw on the tape against Auburn versus Texas A&M, he's just running by defenders. His acceleration, the power strides, it's on a different level than most SEC defensive backs. And if he gets the ball in any type of space, 
basically a death sentence for the defense to try and corral him in the open field. So there, there are a lot of mouths to feed on that Alabama offense last year. No question. So the career production, it's average, 73 career catches, but he scores once every 5.6 catches. He's a solid route runner and finisher who isn't near a ceiling. Oh, and he was SEC special teams player of the year. So the last two years, 35 punt returns. He's averaging 20 yards per punt return with two scores, which is ridiculous. So, And I think that speaks to his catch-and-go skills. The first receiver drafted this past April, Henry Ruggs, primarily because of his dynamic athleticism. Waddle, the same conversation. Teams are going to be salivating at the thought of adding Waddle to their offense. Uh, what, real quick, Dana, what's the size on Waddle? 5'10", 185. Okay, okay. Just got to throw that in there. Who, uh, All right. Pretty good. Pretty All good right. uh, opening statement there. It's going to be pretty tough. Good. That was, a, that was a good opening statement. Ben, you've got second uh, call this week. Um, I'll let you go second here. Pitch who your number two receiver is for CMAC. So my elevator speech right now is going to be on Minnesota receiver Rashad Bateman, who I think has the best combination of size, speed, the ability to win in the route, win downfield. I like Devonta Smith. I like Waddle. I like Justin Ross. I even like Jamar Chase. But I think Rashad Bateman – collectively has the best toolkit out of all of them. And he just fits the mold of all those route running technicians in the NFL today, whether it's Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, all those guys that are going to run in the four, five, five, four, six, but are absolute technicians in every phase of being a receiver from getting off press coverage, deliberate stems and guys that aren't particularly burners, This is a guy that led the Big Ten last year in downfield receptions with 14. So he's a guy that knows how to get himself open and down the field, despite not having those elite traits. The elite, he's not 6'5", he's not going to run in the 4'3", but he's 6'2", 2'10", productive player out of the Big Ten, good against press coverage. Some of the negatives I see, C-Mac, just to uh, paint the full picture, just not crazy explosive, a couple drops here and there. You know, he's not the best in tight windows. I don't know if he's going to make a lot of those junk catches for you on third down, but I think he's a guy that knows how to get himself open. And those guys typically end up winning on Saturdays. That converts to Sundays as well. Ooh, I like it. And the fact of the matter here is, okay, I know you guys are listening out there. Ben does have a Drexel Dragons hoodie. Okay, both both of us went to school there, graduated from there. So, all right, that's, uh, you know, that's going to weigh a little bit into this here. Now, Fran, before you go, can you kind of nitpick the other two? No, guys? no I'm not going to go crazy nitpicking because I, I like both these players, and I think there there were some good arguments to they're be made. All good, yes, yeah, we I, I, all they're, good. they're all good players. I, I think that those guys both made good arguments. I just feel like my argument is going to be the best out of all of the group, and that is right. going to be with Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross, six four, two hundred five pounds. All right, so big bodied receiver. But this kid moves really, really well. He gets out of his stance uh, and has the ability to threaten all three levels of the field. C-Mac, I don't think he's going to be in the 4-3 range, but I think you're looking at a mid-4-4 guy who has the ability to work vertically. He stepped onto campus at Clemson, all right? They won the national title. He led the team in receiving 1,000 yards as an 18-year-old, fresh out of high school, catching passes from Trevor Lawrence. There was all the talk about, oh, could he just declare for the draft now? Could he go to the XFL? Could he just take the year off? Well, I think he's got that level of talent. When you look at some of the elite receivers, guys that are, you know, people still talk about Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, what makes them the X-Factor? It's not just their athleticism. It's not just their ball skills. He's got that in spades. 
his size and his ability to go up and win are outstanding. As I mentioned, he's got the ability to win at all three levels of the field. He's not as good a route runner as Rashad Bateman. He's not as explosive as a Chris Olave or uh, uh, Jalen Waddell, as Dane had brought up. But I think that he's so well-rounded across the board, you're checking a lot of boxes. The only question with Justin Ross, he's going to be out for this season with a neck injury. He had a stinger in the spring. Okay, you had the uh, the issue that then turned into uh, you know a, a, a congenial formation that he's got in his neck. That's an issue that's going to. But what they're already saying after the surgery in June is that he's already ahead of schedule. They've already put a receiver into the top ten of this draft with a neck issue in Mike in Mike Williams a few years ago back in 2017. Clemson's been down this path before. Justin Ross. Such a freak show at the wide receiver position with his ability to get in and out, his ability to win downfield, his ability at the catch point, makes every catch in the book, can run any route that you need. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of Justin Ross. I mean, Fran, less yards, less touchdowns. If you want a guy that's, you know, trending down in the production, I mean, you could look at Rashad Bateman and the trend up. I'm just saying. I mean, look, they had a lot of mouths to feed in that Clemson offense last year. Or, or just the two words, congenital fusion in yeah. the spine. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's tough. So, very, very good arguments across the board. Very, very difficult here decision. And, look, I'm going into this open-minded. Yes. I've heard the names thrown around, but I haven't really watched these guys play. I haven't certainly watched any of the tapes. So, this is a really good exercise. So, uh, well, drum roll, please, I guess, if you want to go here. If you want to get right to the decision, Fran, I thought you made a very good case. Justin Ross, okay, the size, the productivity at a young age. Very, very good. Very good argument there. You know, leading that that Clemson receiving core, the way he could threaten all three levels of the field, very exciting. That that neck injury is a little scary. Mike Williams, so-so career. They just had to pay Keenan Allen big money out there in Los Angeles, okay? So I'm, I think I'm going to step aside there. So I'm going to go between Jalen Waddell and Rashad Bateman. I I love the the way I can see Bateman, the way you paint the picture here, Ben, him transitioning to the league. But for the way the league is today – I'm going to go with Dane Brugler's pick of Jalen Waddle. Oh, yes. the, the winning, the winning, <laughs> C-Mac. The winning line here was when you said he is a death sentence for opposing defenders when he gets the ball at open space. And the fact that he can come in, he can be a punt returner extraordinaire from the get-go, the amazing productivity he's had there. Uh, but just the way that you're trying to open up offenses, be more spread like the college game. You talked about how Henry Ruggs was the first guy off the board this year. We'll wait to see how he develops down the line, but certainly teams are trying to find that Tyreek Hill, you know, kind of threat. It seems like Jalen Waddle could potentially be that. So the size, you know, size could be a little bit of a question mark there. That's why, you know, Bateman might be a safer choice, but I will go with the explosive traits here. Dane Brugler winning the first round here with Jalen Waddle as the number two receiver. I could find that guy in the fifth round, like Dante they have. Bam. Tyreek Hill went in the fifth round too. He go. did, he did, but no, it's it's, it's what the NFL is looking for: catch right, and go right. creators. Right. Ben, are you gonna uh, are you gonna trash the Drexel hoodie now because you know it didn't work for the segment? <laughs> Me and C Mac are done. <laughs> he, he, he's on a different level, you know. He's Mister Forty Under Forty now. Okay, well, that's so right. I, you know, can't mess can't mess with him these days anymore. So. All right. Well, C-Mac, thanks so much. Even though you uh, voted against me, we'll say we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. And we will uh, talk to you guys. Dane, we'll say bye to you as well. We'll talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag.
All right, so it's time now for our draft mailbag. Great stuff there uh, from Chris McPherson, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel. Awesome job, as always, from those guys. All right, so our big question here from JD Sports on our Apple Podcast page. And again, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you leave a question like this one, we will answer it here in this segment. So JD said... With teams cutting down to the 53-man roster, what kinds of things are going through your mind right now regarding the NFL draft? Are you looking around at players that you liked in college that fell through the cracks? And that's a great question, J.D. Yes, that is something that I'm doing. Uh, For sure, you look around. And and to me, though, it's not, oh, like, why did this team cut this guy? Like, what are they thinking? I love this kid. It's more of, okay, why did this guy fall through the cracks? And and we don't always get the full story, right? We don't, and that's some of the, the stuff that we always acknowledge here on the show is that as, as important as the film is, the film is very, very important to me. There are so many other things that go into this. And when you talk about uh, how the guy is as a teammate, how he is as a learner, how he is in terms of fitting overall in the position room, and that's one of the big things to me, uh, J.D., that I'm always thinking about this time of year is the team-building aspect, narrowing the roster down from usually 90-man, but an 80-man roster, getting down to those final 53. What goes into those decisions on who makes it and who doesn't? You start talking about versatility uh, from a positional standpoint. We talk about that all the time along the offensive line. If you're just a a backup at one position, it's really hard to sell you making it on the 53 right now. You've got to be able to wear a lot of different hats. So that's why versatility along the offensive line, so, so important. You talk about the ability to play special teams. Oh, well, you say, oh, well, this guy, you know, yeah, he covered all the kicks, but he's not that great of a receiver. Well, if he's a great cover guy on special teams and he's tough and he can block, Guess what? He's going to find a role as a fourth or fifth receiver and not only make the 53, but he's also going to be active on game day. And so to me, finding those guys and understanding the value in what those players bring to the table, very, very important. I'm always thinking about that this time of year. But for sure, look around the waiver wire and get a sense of, oh, man, like, I really like this guy. Why didn't he work out? Well, I really, I really love this guy. I'm so glad that he was able to make uh, the 53. You know, that makes me feel good about my evaluation. You do all that for sure. But to me, I'm always thinking about the overall roster construction and the team building aspect of it, that end of the strategy behind it, and then understanding why some guys make it versus some, some guys that don't. Trying to get to the bottom of that is, is to me, one of the bigger themes this time of year. So great question there uh, from JD Sports. Thanks so much to all of you out there. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, the first installment of our new format here for our in-season version of the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We're going to be back a little bit later this week. We're going to have Ben Fennel back. Uh, We're going to talk through previewing next week's action. The Big 12 kicks off this Saturday, which will be fun. Um, We're going to have another guest here on the show as well. Another, uh, actually a couple of guests uh, you should be excited to hear from. I'll tell you what, right now, Ross Tucker, our good friend, uh, one of our co-hosts from Eagles Draft Central, uh, who is normally the color commentator for Eagles preseason games. He's going to be joining the show on a weekly basis. Excited to get things going here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We'll talk to you in a few days.